You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Being 40 days tempted of the devil, in those days he did eat nothing, and when the days were ended, he afterward hungered. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil taketh him up into a high mountain, showed unto, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. To whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, it is, it is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. When the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Father, bless these few moments we have together uh, in your word tonight. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for his wife. I pray, God, that your uh, healing power would be upon her. And, Lord, that um, the surgeries, the different things that are going to be taking, on, taking place, that, Father, that you might just give her 100% uh, return to health. And, God, that you might bless the, in that way in a great way. I thank you again for our pastor, for his faithfulness, and his wife for 11 years here, and uh, serving you faithfully at this church. We ask God that you might continue to bless them and give them many, many more years. Meet with us tonight. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the beginning of our Lord's public ministry. I want to talk to you tonight about the subject, Know Your Enemy. And I'm going to, I'm going to cut this message down um, quite a bit, but I want to get just, get just right down to, to very quickly to some, some points about knowing your enemy. This is the beginning of our Lord's ministry. Uh, his ministry begins with his baptism in chapter 3, and then we go immediately to the temptation. Satan attacks Jesus when he's weak, when he's vulnerable. Now, the temptation of Jesus was an attempt to get him uh, to not do the will of God. The devil's, the devil's objective is always to keep us from fulfilling the will of God for our lives. Satan has always been the enemy of God, and he is our enemy because of the fact that we are the people of God. He wants to get us sidetracked. Here's what the devil wants to do in your life. He wants to keep you from fulfilling the will of God for your life. Uh, we oftentimes think, well, the devil wants me to be a, an adulterer and a drunkard and yada, yada, yada. I think, I, I, really don't, I don't know that he cares all that much about that. I think what he cares about is that you do not do the will of God for your life. God has a plan for your life, and he does not want you to, to fulfill that plan. Um, he doesn't want the God's will done on this earth. That's, our Lord taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven, right? And so, uh, and then give us this day our daily bread. Our purpose on this world, and the reason why we ask God to give us, uh, give us our daily bread, is so we might do his will on this earth, that his will might be done on earth. And uh, it's important that we understand that if we're going to do God's will, we know, we realize we have an enemy that wants to sidetrack us from doing the will of God. We need to know our enemy. Sun Tzu and lived in 500 years before Christ. He was a Chinese military strategist. He was a general. He's best known as the author of the work, The Art of War. Some of you men have no doubt heard about that book, The Art of War, written over 500 years before Christ was born. Here's what Sun Tzu says in that book. He said, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. 
If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So again, these three options, he said. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you don't need to fear the result of a, of a hundred battles. But if you know yourself, but you don't know the enemy, for every victory you gain, you're going to suffer a defeat as well. If you do not know the enemy and you do not know yourself, you're going to lose every time. The most dangerous part, the most vulnerable times whenever I was in Vietnam in 1968-69 with the 75th Rangers with the LERP teams. We, 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 our, our job was to be in LERP teams, long-range reconnaissance patrol. We worked with six-man teams. They'd drop us off behind enemy lines, and we'd sneak around out there, find out what was there. Anywhere from three days to a couple of weeks, we'd be out there. Six guys alone uh, behind enemy lines. Now, the most vulnerable time for us during that, during that time would be on a hot, miserable, rainy jungle night, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. It's raining. The mosquitoes are swarming. The jungle rot is enhanced by the leeches that have got inside your boots and your pant legs. The only way you can see anything at night was back in those days. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this because some of you guys are going to be thinking, you guys are in the military now, you're going to be, you're going to be thinking, you've got to be kidding. You're that old. I'm that old. Starlight scopes. Nobody here knows what those are. A starlight scope was what we used back in Vietnam. Now today, you've got all that fancy stuff where you just put on the goggles and man, you can see all through the dark and night, you can see everything. We couldn't. What we needed was the, the light of the stars. So we'd take that starlight scope in the, in the middle of the night and we'd be looking at it through like this. And, and then as long as we had the starlight, we could, we, it, would, it would give us a vision of what was out there. Everything was green and we could see the movement of people. But on a rainy night, there's no stars. And so you couldn't hear them coming. Now the objective was that we would, they would drop us off over at point A, pick us up over here at point B, and the objective was that nobody knew we were out there. It's a reconnaissance team, six minutes, six of us. No, they're not supposed to know you're there. But the problem is sometimes they saw you. Sometimes we'd get dropped off somewhere and, and we'd get spotted, and we didn't know we were spotted. And so we'd be moving out through the jungle somewhere, and we'd set up camp at night, and we don't know that they know that we're there, but they know where we are. And sometimes they know approximately where they are, but not exactly where we are. And so what's the best time for them to come? Two, three o'clock in the morning. It's raining. They can't, you can't hear them coming. You can't see them. That was a fearful time. Now, the devil wants to attack you at a fearful, difficult time time whenever you are vulnerable to his attacks. Um, the devil doesn't have any, any new, new tricks. The devil's been using the same ones for thousands of years. That's the only good part. We see three temptations in our text. Now, whenever I was going through these, th these uh, number of years ago, and I'll tell you why I did this in a few moments, but several years ago, I wrote down in the margin of my Bible three things about these three, th these three, the three attacks. Number one, I wrote provision. In verse 3, where he said, command this stone that it be made bread. Number 2, I wrote the word prestige in verse 6, when he said, all of this power will I give thee in the glory of them. And then number 3, I wrote pride in verse 9, where it said, uh, uh, jump down, jump down from the temple. And if you be the son of God, you're not going to be hurt because his angels are going to take care of thee. I wrote those three words, I'll tell you why, in a few moments. Now, we're going to come back to these things. Here's how the devil, here's how your enemy is going to attack you to try to keep you from doing the will of God for your life. He doesn't want you to accomplish your will of God. 
Now, whether, I mean, he doesn't want, I don't think he's so concerned about whether you're a drunkard or not. Just don't do the will of God. I don't think he cares whether you get divorced or not. Just don't do the will of God. And the more that you can, he can keep us from doing the will of God, he's already, he's already won what he wanted to do. You could be a perfectly moral person, but you don't accomplish the will of God for your life. God's objective for us is not that just that we are nice people. It's that we do the will of God upon this earth. He has a plan for your life. Now, before we come back to these, I want you to go to 1 John chapter 2 and kind of set the stage here. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. He's been using the same old tricks for 6,000 years. They worked on our, for, uh, on our original father and parents, and they, they've been working on all, all of Adam and Eve's descendants then. In 1 John chapter 2, notice in verse 15, the Bible talks about these three temptations, the way the devil attacks us. 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... At all of the devil's temptations, all that's in the world. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life is not of the Father. Those are those, those three temptations. The lust of the flesh. Everything that my body wants. The flesh. Lust of the eyes. Everything that, that I can see. All the toys and the things that I want. The finances, the, 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 the cars, the houses. The pride of life. The desire to be successful, to be famous, to be admired, to be able to say, look what I've accomplished, the pride of life. Um, in the first temptation, Satan used all three of these on Eve. Listen to what Genesis 3, 6 says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, the devil's tempting her not to do the will of God. And when she saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh... It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life. Then she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it to her husband. So 4,000 years goes by. Jesus comes. We come to Luke chapter 4, and it's the same thing. The lust of the flesh. The devil says to Jesus, hey, turn this, this stone into bread. The lust of the eyes. He says, look at all these kingdoms of the whole world. I'll give it all to you. Everything you can see that you would want. The pride of life. He takes him up to the temple and, and says, uh, cast yourself down. I mean, you, anybody else would die if they cast themselves down, but not you. I mean, you're too important to die. The Father's not going to let you die. He's already said in Psalm that his angels would, 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 would take care of you. The lust of the, of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. 2,000 years more goes by. And now it's us. And I would say to you tonight... That Satan does not want you to fulfill God's will for your life, and he's going to use these same three areas to try to get you sidetracked. Men, he does not want you to be God's man in your home. He doesn't want you to be a man of God in your work, in your community, your church. He doesn't want you to be God's man to your children. Ladies, he does not want you to be a godly wife, a loving mother. Uh, oh, kids, he doesn't want you to be obedient children. Church member, he does not want us to be uh, faithful church members. He doesn't want us to be tithing and giving and gracious and generous. He doesn't want us to be soul winners. He does not want us to live a holy life. He wants to get us sidetracked from doing the will of God. You need to know your enemy. Now, very quickly, let me give you these three bullets and how he's going he's gonna to shoot these at you. And we'll, I'll make these fast. Number one, the first bullet he wants to shoot into your heart is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is the stuff that your flesh wants. Can I say this to you? There's nothing, absolutely nothing good about our old nature. The flesh is the old nature. There's nothing good about it. You cannot trust your flesh. 
You cannot trust your nature. You cannot trust your heart. We are told so often that we are to follow our heart. You follow your heart and you'll end up in big trouble. The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. There's nothing good. No wonder Paul cried out and he said, Oh, he said, he said, Who shall deliver me? Oh, wretched man that I am wretched. He was saved when he said that. I am a wretched man. Who shall deliver me from this body of sin and death? There's nothing good about our flesh. What do we do with our flesh? It has to be crucified. It can't be reformed. It can't be taught to be better. It has to be crucified. That's why the Apostle Paul was able to say, I die daily. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. You must die daily. Every day we've got to put this flesh to death. That's why, that's why Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified. I died with Christ. Nevertheless, I, nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But not, it's not me that's living. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... In this old nature, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself and loved me and gave himself for me. I've got to die to self. How do we do that? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It comes with surrender. We come to a point in our life where we say, God, I don't want to try to do this myself. I cannot do this myself. I cannot live the Christian life. I've, in pastoring, I've often had people say to me, you know, preacher, pastor, it's hard to live the Christian life. I say, no, 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 you got it wrong. It's not hard. It's not hard to live the Christian life. It's impossible. I can't live the Christian life. I can't love my enemies. I can't put myself, my flesh to death. I can't take up, I, well, I have to yield myself to God. Yield yourself to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy, present your bodies that we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I want to yield everything to you. I want to dedicate everything to you. And then the next verse says, but that doesn't stop there. The next thing you know, that's why so many of us are, are, are we're aisle athletes, you know. We're walking down the aisle every service. And I'm, not, I'm not against that. But we're walking down the aisle every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We're dedicating ourselves again. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not against that. I'm for that. I'm, I'm fine with that. But I'm just simply saying that in my early years as a Christian, I, I didn't get saved when I was 20 years old. I had a lot of junk in my life. I mean, every time the pastor preached, he was preaching at me. And, 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 I, and I, I mean, every Sunday morning, I'm at the altar confessing some sin. Sunday night, I'm back again. Wednesday night, I found out a new sin. I didn't know. I, I had so much stuff in my life I didn't know was sin. I'm going to tell you something that you may think I'm making this up. I'm not. Pastor, I went to Bible college, and I, I, here's, here's the only thing that I hold in, in, in fundamentalism. The only, the only record that I hold is this. As far as I know, I'm the only independent Baptist preacher you have ever heard or ever will hear that offered the president of his Bible college a cigarette. That's what I'll be known for when I die. They'll say, there's, there's Tomlinson. You know, the one, good, the one thing that he holds a record for, he offered the president of the Bible college a cigarette. I didn't know you weren't supposed to smoke when I went to Bible college. How was I supposed to know? My pastor, when I got saved, smoked. I, I kid you not. My pastor, Jim Wilkins, I'm sorry, not Jim Wilkins, Jack Wilkins, uh, smoked. And uh, he and I would smoke cigarettes together and, and, and drink coffee and study the Bible. We did. And so, you know, he sent me off to Bible college. His, pastor, his, his brother had a Bible college, Jim Wilkins in Sacramento. But one, the wonderful thing about it is that's where I met my sweetheart. Not at that Bible college, but met her in Sacramento. And thank God for, for that. And we've been married almost 50 years now. 
So anyway, I grew up to Bible college where Jim Wilkins was. And, uh, and, and, and we're, we're, one day he, his car wouldn't start. He called me on the phone. He said, Dwight, he said, we're going, can, you, can you give me a ride to Bible college? I said, sure. I pulled by, picked him up, got in the car, had some nice, soft, uh, uh, easy listening, easy listening uh, music going, you know, a little light rock going on there in the car. We're driving along. I reached in my pocket. I pulled out a Marlboro. I said, I offered him one. He said, no. He, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was wrong. Was wrong. I thought he had a fight with Luella, his wife. Did you ever have Jim Wilkins preach here? He's the guy that he he, he became an independent Baptist later, and uh, Jim Wilkins he he's the guy that had all those uh, uh, Big Brother program, all those books. He's a great salt winner, but at the time we we weren't independent Baptists, and so and he said uh, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know it was wrong. I thought he had a fight with Luella, his wife, and so you know he's having a bad day. I don't know. We get to Bible college. We get to the school. He gets out of the car, walks right into, that, right into the, his office. I mean, he's booming into the office. Doesn't say, doesn't say thank you for the ride, nothing. I went on to my first class, second class. Third class was chapel. I came in, a little Bible college, 20, 25 students. I sat down with, with the, the other kids. Guess what? God led Jim Wilkins that day to preach on the sin of smoking. <laughs> and that day... I was at the altar again, offering my cigarettes to the pastor so I can stay in Bible college. <laughs> you know something? Look, I'm not against going to the altar. I'm for going to the altar. I still need to go to the altar a lot of times. I do. But that verse says this. Come to the altar, Romans 12, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your body a living sacrifice. We come to Christ. We, next verse be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to get this book into your head and change your thinking, or else you're just going to keep going back to the old stuff again, right? I mean, I had, to, I had to get this book into my mind. The problem was my thinking. 20 years of wrong thinking, wrong living. And, and so, um, so the devil wants to keep us from doing the will of God. First thing he is, the lust of the flesh. We've got to get to that point where we, where we understand that, 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 that God's spirit is able to take care of these things. Change your thinking. Change your mind. First bullet, lust of the flesh. Second bullet he shoots is this, the lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is all those shiny toys that we see. Don't you hate Facebook? I got this love-hate relationship with Facebook, right? I hardly ever go there, but I, but I do have a Facebook. My wife finally just got off of it, said, I'm done with it, you know. I said, babe, I, I, we got three kids and nine grandkids. I want to know what they're doing around the world, you know. I want to know, I want to see their, see their pictures and stuff. And then, and then also, you know, I put our prayer reports on there, and a lot of people read it from there. And so, so, so I got this love-hate relationship. One of the things I hate about it is this. The only thing we ever post on that is, is or any of your friends post on it, is all their, all their vacations. Here we are in Hawaii. You know, look at my new car. Uh, nobody, nobody ever puts their, uh, nobody ever puts their, their low day on Facebook. You know, they, they put their, the auditorium is full, you know, and, and then, like, hey, we had 7,000 saved last month, you know, and 560 baptized this week, and they did all kinds of stuff. And you're looking at it, and you're thinking, wow, I still got this old dumpy car. You know, where am I going on vacation? Yuba City? 
you know. <laughs> Babe, we can go into Yuba City where a car might be able to make it three miles, you know. I mean, you know, we don't, we, we're not having a vacation. We don't have any money. We're stuck, you know, with a mask on our face or something. I mean, just, and you're looking at all the stuff that everybody else has, and you're thinking, their life is so wonderful. The lust of the eyes. Now, look, we see all of these different things. God, the devil takes Jesus up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, you can have all this. Just don't do the will of God for your life. Don't go to Calvary. Skip Calvary. Skip the will of God for your life. And I'll give you all of these. Can I say this to you? There, there's nothing wrong in and of themselves with things. The new house, the new car, the exotic vacation, the expensive toys. There's nothing wrong with those things uh, in and of themselves. But if they cause you not to do the will of God, all of a sudden they're wrong. Again, you don't have to go become a drunk. I'm not a drunkard. I just, I just go fishing a lot, you know. And I happen to go on Sundays. Again, nothing wrong going fishing. But all of a sudden, these things, or, or, or you don't have time for your family because you're always at work. And all of a sudden, we, we get sidetracked from the most important things because we're, we're going after those things. There's a danger in having this ability that we have in America. I, I don't have the time to go into this, but, but I wish I did, but, but, I, but I don't. But let me just say this to you. You and I are so unbelievably privileged. We, we are blessed beyond, I had no idea until I spent a few years in Asia how blessed we are. <clears throat> we, we live in one of the only, those of you from the Philippines, how many people from the Philippines, you know what I'm talking about, what I'm about to say. Uh, from other countries, you, you know this is what I'm about to say. We are, we, we, we live in one of the only, one of the few countries in the world where you can work hard and you can uh, elevate your standard of living. Most countries, it doesn't matter how hard you work. There's a caste system, there are no jobs. You're born, you're born a certain way in India, you're gonna live that way and, and chances are you, you're never getting out of that. Um, that we, we, we go to villages and we go to people, and they're, not, they're not lazy, they just, there's nothing but they can do. They have no work, they have no ability. We have the ability here in America to, to raise our standard of living. We can go to college, we can work hard, we can get a, we can get a job, we can go to a trade school, and, and that's wonderful. I'm, I love America, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous. We don't have the time to look at it, but you look sometime at 1 Timothy chapter 6, they that will be rich, not they are rich, they will be rich. They want to be rich, fall into many dangerous temptations, the Bible says. All these temptations that come, Number three, three bullets. Number one, the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. He takes him up on that temple and says, and says jump down. It's okay, because everybody knows you're too, you're not gonna die. He's promised his angels would take charge of you. You're not, they're not gonna let you stub your toe. Basically, it's like the devil saying, to Jesus, the rules of gravity don't apply to you. I mean, you're the son of God. You, you, you don't have to follow the rules. Isn't, this, isn't this, a, this insidious thing that comes in that the devil puts in our minds that somehow we don't have to follow the rules? Somehow the rules don't apply to us. 
we can play with fire and not get burned. And we start thinking that somehow we can get away with things, other people can't get away with things. I'm glad that I know that God is not going to let me get away with sin. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know why? I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. I, um, I don't trust my flesh. Uh, I used to tell our teenagers, look, kids, it's not that we don't trust you. It's just that we don't trust you. And, uh, and I tell the same thing to myself. Dwight, it's not that I don't trust you. I just don't trust you. I don't trust my flesh. Uh, my flesh is weak. But I'm glad that God loves me enough to say in Hebrews that, that I'm going to chasten you if you, get, if you get out of line. Not because I'm mad at you, not because I hate you, because I'm trying to bring you back in line. The, the rules apply to you. Now, how did Jesus defeat the enemy? He met every temptation the same way he quoted scripture. We can't quote back to him something we don't know. Get into the book. Get into the book. Saturate yourself in the word of God. I'm going to say one other thing to you real quickly. Uh, normally, these three temptations, normally they are more powerful at different stages of our life. For example, the lust of the flesh. Young men struggle with this. Young men struggle with this more. The lust of the eyes. When you start to look around and see stuff. Middle age, that's a real temptation. When you, when you get to be about middle age and, and, you're, and you're looking around and you're thinking, you know, if I'm ever going to get that, that really nice car, that really nice house, if I'm ever going to have this beautiful wife, that's why there's so many guys that in that middle age and they kind of reach that point in their profession where they're doing really well and all of a sudden they're divorcing, divorcing their wife and marrying their secretary. She's just the trophy wife. I got my trophy wife the first time and just kept her. Fifty years later, she says, don't say that. It's true, babe. It's true. It's true. I just got the one I wanted the first time, far beyond my capacity, better than I deserved, and just kept her. And by the grace of God, she kept me, too. This, this middle age area, be careful in that. Where you start thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm, I haven't succeeded in life because I don't make X amount of dollars. You don't get your value from how much you make. And then the pride of life. Guys like me got to be careful with this one. We're old, we get older. And we start thinking, you know, I've earned, I've earned a little respect here. You know. Uh, we look at the young preachers and don't do exactly like we do it. We get upset with them. Um, and we start thinking that somehow, you know, we know everything because we've been around for a long time. Uh, the, the fact that you've been around a long time doesn't necessarily mean you know what you're doing. Practice makes perfect. No, maybe sometimes it just makes permanent. You know, you're permanently doing the wrong thing. <laughs> you practice it so long you don't know how to do anything else. Um, we start thinking... You know, I deserve a little respect here. I haven't, uh, you know, maybe uh, you don't feel like the pastor gives you the respect you deserve. Or your wife. Or your kids. Or, or whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, we're, we're away from the will of God. 
we're not serving anymore, we're not giving anymore, we're not tithing anymore, we're not, we're not, we say, you know, let the young people do it. I've taught Sunday school all these years, let them do it. I'm too, you know, let, let the young people do it. Where do we find in the Bible that we ever stopped doing something for God? You may not be able to do what you, what you used to do. I couldn't pastor, I couldn't pastor this church. I know that. I don't have the ability at 71 years old to pastor, I don't have the, I don't have the emotional, the intellectual, the ability that your, your preacher does to pastor a church. I'm, you, I'm, I've pastored enough to know something. Pastoring churches is extremely stressful. My wife and I both understand it. A lot of stress in that. I probably couldn't handle it that well anymore. But I can still do something for God. I can still run Barnabas 1040. I can still take on new national pastors. I can still preach. I can still raise money for them. I can still go over and teach them and guide them and direct them and try to help. There's always something you can do for the Lord. So don't get sidetracked. Now, in 2015, I told you that I wrote those, I wrote those words down next to this. I wrote down provision, prestige, pride. Let me tell you why I wrote them down. That's when God was dealing with me about leaving Liberty Baptist Church. And, one, and, and I was really struggling with it. Because I've been there for 25 years, and it was everything that I'd ever wanted as a young preacher. I mean, finally, we've got $18 million worth of property. We've got 80,000 square feet of buildings. We've got hundreds of people. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life. I've been here 25 years. People trust me. They they're just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful situation. And now all of a sudden, God is dealing with me about resign your church and go start over again. And I'm reading this scripture one day, and Jesus said, I'm not going to turn that bread, that, that stone into bread. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I began to realize that, you know what, I'm afraid to leave my salary. I'm afraid to leave my church. I'm afraid that I'm going to go out I'm going to go to approach pastors like yours, and I'm going to say, hey, uh, would you be willing to help us as we start this new ministry? And, I'm, and I was afraid that they were going to say, no. No, come on, man. What, what, what? This, is, this is not, are you going to be a missionary? No, I'm not going to be a missionary. What are you going to do? I'm going to help support national pastors. I don't believe in that. I didn't believe in that. For years, I didn't support national pastors. I supported only missionaries. And now all of a sudden, the guy that didn't do it himself is going to go ask pastors like you, ask your pastor, would you do it? And thankfully, your pastor didn't say to me, well, did you? Uh-oh. <laughs> because I didn't understand it in my early years of ministry. I didn't understand what I, what I, what I, what I, what I, what I do now. And I was afraid pastors wouldn't understand it. And then Jesus says to him, or the devil says to him, Look at all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you. And I, and I sat there that morning reading my Bible, dealing with God, and, and, and I realized, you know what? I like being the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church of Newport Beach, California. It's not Newport Beach, Kentucky Holler somewhere, you know. It's Newport Beach, California. It's millions of dollars of property. It's some of the most beautiful facilities you've ever seen in your life. I liked it. I liked being there. 
I liked being introduced that way when I would preach somewhere. Oh, you ought to see their facilities. Oh, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to go down there sometime on vacation. I liked it. And I, and I liked that prestige. And I was afraid when I walked out the door, it's over. And I can't go back. I can't go back. Now, could I find another church to pastor somewhere? At that time, maybe, probably. But not, not one like that. I'd end up in some little holler in Kentucky somewhere. But I wasn't going back to Newport Beach, California. And then he said, the rules don't apply to you. Just, just go ahead and jump. You'll be okay. And I realized, you know what? It's just pride. I'm, too, I, I'm, I'm so prideful that I'm scared to do what God wants me to do. And so that night, or that morning, I wrote those things down in my Bible. I talked to my wife, and I said, babe, we got to go. We have to do this. And God will take care of us. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I'll go to Walmart, they hire old people, I'll get a job, and I'll hold my head up high and I'll say, we did what God told us to do. This is the will of God for our life. By the way, all my fears were unfounded. God took care of everything, everything. All those fears were nothing but just from junk from the devil, just in my own mind. He took care of everything. So, and then I'm gonna wrap this up. What, what is it that you are afraid of that would keep you from doing the will of God. I'm afraid about my, my retirement income. I'm afraid about, what, about wait, wait a minute, just do what God wants you to do. And can I say this to you? you the will of God for you is probably, your, your struggle's probably not gonna be leaving here and going over there. Your struggle's probably gonna be staying here. I've been in, I was in California for 40 years. And all of a sudden, people in California have an opportunity to get out and there's a real temptation to do it. Now we can work from anywhere. Now we can say, I can get out of this place. I can sell my house and take that equity. But is that really what God wants you to do? Or does God want you to just stay right where you are, keep serving, and trust him? Trust him. Know your enemy. Let's stand together with our heads bowed, if we could please. Our Heavenly Father, I pray you'll take these simple thoughts and apply them to our hearts tonight. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.